Julian Crane, how did you first find out about magic? Uh, well, that's primarily in the context of my upbringing. I was raised as a Protestant Christian, so uh, magic and sorcery were things that had been in my radar since I was a kid, of course, from that context. You know, they were viewed as, you know, evil or things to be avoided, that, you know, good people don't do that sort of thing. Um, so up until, I would say, my late teens, that's pretty much what I had assumed was the case. But uh, during that time period, um, I started ex experimenting with marijuana and some other uh, mind-altering alkaloids. And there's sort of a, a crossover between the interest in the occult and psychonautics. So I started to see more information um, about magic, about occult, and specifically hermeticism around the time I was doing research about uh, the ancient use of marijuana and other similar substances. So I think it was around the time I was 21. I had been veering away from Christianity from about the age of 15 till that time, but I had stuck with it because, you know, it's a, it's a system that builds a lot of um, fear into yeah. it. And so like, you know, leaving is a big no-no. It was around the age of 21 that um, I was working a job in the back of a print shop. Uh, so I was oftentimes running lots of uh, copies on a, on a copy or a printer. And during that time, I had access to a computer and I was researching hermeticism because after coming across well, did, that... How, how did you, like, how did you first even hear the word hermeticism? Like, what, what was, like, because it's like you can kind of jump from, oak oh, Protest, Protestantism to hermeticism, but that's a bit of a jump, so... Yeah, that is a bit of a jump. So yeah. uh, in high school, um, I got into the habit of researching world religions uh, because I was curious about you know, what people in Tibet were doing, what people in Indonesia were doing. Um, was this because you just, you, you just knew that um, Christianity wasn't for you? Like, had you a sense of that? Or was it just curiosity just to, you know, what, what does the rest uh, of the world think? It was a little of both. By the age of 12, I started questioning whether I really believed, you know, what I was telling people that I did. Yeah. Um, by the age of 15, that process began to grow. And between the ages of 15 and 21, um, I started doing research out of curiosity, but also, I guess you could call it uh, a study in comparative religion, nice. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, not in an academic sense, although yeah. it's funny, when I was in high school, uh, you know, I wasn't a terribly good student, I was a bit of a hellion, um, mm -hmm. but there was days where I would skip entire days of school, and I'd go to the library, which was rather large, and uh, I would just find a nook, and there was actually a religion and occult section in the library, so I spent okay. a lot of time reading books, and this was, I mean, the internet... Uh, it was usable at the time, but it wasn't like the high-speed access that we yeah, have yeah, now. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, twenty-five so, minutes to download the picture. Yeah, all that <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of that. And, and what, uh, what sort time, of books had the in it? Like, what was the Crowley stuff? Was there? I know. Um, oh, was it like your standard kind of a um, hundred and one or a thousand and one things you didn't know about the occult or what, what, what sort of stuff? Yeah, I mean, the texts that were in the high school library were a bit vague. They were they were more like mini encyclopedias that just you know like an exploration of witchcraft. Yes, um, yes, yes. yes you, yeah. you know, and I, I I do believe there was actually um, one or two books by Crowley, which is ironic, but my high school was built in the 70s and it had never been painted a second time. They demolished the school shortly after I graduated. Okay. So they had a lot of, you know, old stuff that had been there since like 1965. So that's probably the reason for that. Right, literally um, just bought it to, to fill the library kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, they had books on uh, Tibetan Buddhism, which um, I got into from an academic standpoint for a while. I, I didn't practice a lot of that outside of experimenting with uh, meditation. Mm. Um, and then once I graduated and uh, started working uh, full time, um, like I said, by the time early 20s, 2021, um, I had access to a computer and I was doing this mindless work. So I was like, well, I'm going to spend time researching things that I find interesting. And uh, I forget specifically what the trigger was for Hermeticism, but um, because I was researching so much stuff about um, not only other world religions, but Christianity itself, I wanted to understand the roots of it. Mm. Uh, somewhere along the lines, you know, I read an article that mentioned Hermeticism. It was probably from a, like, know your enemy standpoint from a right, Christian sure, publication, sure. if yeah, I had yeah, to yeah, guess. Yeah. So, Why um, Hermeticism is Satan uh, or something, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely something to that effect. Mm. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to learn more about it. So um, I spent a lot of time uh, while doing that mindless work, researching 
various spiritual topics, and Hermeticism was one of them. You know, it was an older website at the time, so I can't remember specifically what it is or if it even exists, but it talked about, you know, Hermeticism, the perennial philosophies, um, mystery cults, and things of that nature. Um, that eventually led me to read the Kabbalion, which um, it's funny, in occult circles nowadays, uh, it seems like a lot of people want to talk shit about that book. And I can understand that from, you know, a certain level looking down. But as a neophyte, let's use that word, sure. in yeah. my spiritual pursuits, I found it to be a very life changing book. And while I didn't yeah. immediately leave Christianity at that moment, it was probably the fulcrum uh, at which I turned and started looking at the world and saying like, okay, I definitely don't believe this. That's bullshit. Nope, that doesn't work. Um, and, uh, processes like that continued over the course up until I was 27. Um, I think it was in 2010, um, I started researching magic specifically because of the things that I'd heard about it from the the hermetic, uh, things that I was reading. I came across initially, uh, Rufus Opus's blog, uh, Jason Miller, Rune Soup, uh, and at the time, there was another blog, a writer, I think his name was Jack Faust. Uh, he called his blog the Von Faustus blog. All right, not familiar with that at all now. So. Yeah, I mean, that was a phenomenal uh, blog. And he, I think Rufus Opus mentioned him in a comment and said, you know, when I first met you, I was pretty certain you were an adept. So that, right. that's a good co- compliment. And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, that blog was taken down. So I don't know where Jack is or what's going on with him. But those those few blogs um, I continued to read, and it was mostly from an academic standpoint. Um, I eventually... So you weren't doing any kind of practice. Were you even meditating at this point? Or, or you, yeah, I mean, yeah. I actually, it's funny because I actually uh, was an ardent meditator between the ages of 12 and 14. Um, I would actually, I would go for a bike ride every day. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts. There's a lot of pretty areas around here. And I would bike through the woods get on this access road and there was a bridge that would go over a highway. Sounds like a weird place to meditate, but I found the sound of traffic to be similar to that of flowing water. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I would sit on the bridge and just close my eyes. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, at the time I had assumed based on the little bit that I knew about meditation that you were trying to completely empty your mind. So I just did whatever I could, which was basically closing my eyes, doing breathing exercises, and trying to get lost in the trance of the sound of the traffic. And I would do that for anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes a day for three or four days a week. Um, By the time I was 15, I kind of lost interest with it, um, you know, because that's around the time that I started experimenting with um, psychonautic endeavors, uh, marijuana, and um, other curious elixirs. Was there any... um... Did you have any kind of insights or any kind of uh, fruition from that meditation time? Or was it more kind of a an escape, in a sense, away from, you know, like a kind of a reprieve from the world? Or um, Yeah, I would say it would, it would probably be more considered um, a reprieve. Uh, oh, hold on a second. Oh, I lost my window there for a second. Right. Uh, I wasn't necessarily doing it to accomplish anything from a magical sense. Uh, it did give me a sense of peace. Um and I guess I was just curious about my own mind and meditation is, you know, what's the point of this? Why do people do it? Mm-hmm. You know, what, if anything, does it have to offer me? Um, but yeah, at that age, it, it wasn't anything to do with preparing for a magical practice, as you right, would right, see right. in so many yeah. intro books. So when you got to the, to the drugs, man, um, was that <laughs> born out of just like your, your normal standard teenage? I want to, you know, take drugs and, you know, experience these things. Or was there a, was that coming from a some sort of spiritual pursuit as well, or, you know, what, what, what way did that kind of play out? Well, what's interesting is, you know, again, being raised Christian, you know, I was raised with the whole drugs are bad. And okay. Um, so I had been asked by friends as early as ninth grade, do you want to smoke? And I'd say no. And, uh, I think it was in late ninth grade, early 10th grade, a friend of mine convinced me to do it. Um, and so I did. And, you know, it was a life changing experience because one, I quickly realized this isn't nearly as dangerous as uh, I have been told by clergy or the police or my parents. And two, uh, you know, just what it did to my imagination, it was like, wow, the world is a lot bigger and this is a window through which I can look at this world and experience it in a new way. Mm. So uh, that was another thing that kind of made me question my religious beliefs. And as I continued um, to smoke, I used it as a tool to explore my own mind. Um, and that led me to other things will tr- will remain anonymous for various reasons, but I I did experiment quite a bit, and um, I had experiences that I would define as spiritual. Now I don't know if someone else going through the same process 
would necessarily define it as such. Um, and but, does that matter? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but having those experiences that I would define as spiritual definitely uh, led me to using those substances more as a focus for spiritual development than partying, which of course I did my fair share of partying. Yeah. But um, by the time I had gotten a little bit deeper into it, um, I was blending it with short-term meditation or, you know, going for hikes in the woods for hours at a time in an altered state of consciousness. Um, and was this allowing you more insights into um, the structure of your mind, the structure of the world, or was it like getting things, getting in touch with like the trees or, you know, having a greater understanding of ecology or what it, like, um, without, you know, I'm not, going too uh, much into like your, your personal kind of spiritual things but uh, yeah. what what was the um you know what were the insights exactly you were getting for, from this process uh, i would say it was a little bit of both um marijuana in particular certainly made me feel more connected to nature so i spent a lot of time walking around in the woods um you know it's hard to you know it's been it's been a while since those initial experiences and my relationship mm. with that plant now is very different than it was back then but it definitely it gave me a sense that, you know, everything was connected. And, you know, I had learned about things like that in high school biology, like, you know, chemically, atomically, we're all connected on a certain level. But on a surface level, that doesn't really make sense to people, or at least it certainly didn't make sense to me. But when I had experienced those initial um, highs from marijuana, it sort of connected all the dots. So on one end, yeah, I would spend a lot of time walking around in nature and trying to connect with, you know, the ecology, uh, yeah. the land, whatever that means. And then also, you know, at home at night, I would smoke and um, I would sort of go into my mind. I, I developed a practice, uh, I guess you would call it like the regression of memory, where I, uh, I would get high, I would listen to music, uh, or I'd be silent. And I would go backwards in my memory, uh, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, a day, two days, okay. a week, a month. And I would go back as far as I possibly could. Now, I don't really know why I did that, but uh, it was an interesting thing because by doing that, uh, I initiated, you know, remembering memories that I had completely forgot. Um, again, not exactly sure why I even developed that. It's just something that is a byproduct of the experience itself. It's, a, it's a interesting because that is, um, well, not doing it over the, the course of, like, say, weeks, but whatever, it is a, uh, like, it's a theosoph theosophical kind of exercise that they're... That, that uh, prescribed to do is that you go back over your day again but from the opposite way from the the end to the beginning so the night to the morning so it's yeah. it's interesting then that you came across that as a similar type of technique on yeah, your own I would agree yeah yeah for sure so then did it um did the, you progress to other drugs at that point or was that did you get was the hermetic thing something that you were you know crossing over what what was going on at that kind of period um, when you're in this job you're you're a bit bored so you decide to take on the occult why not yeah yeah well uh, so there's a transition period from you know moving from marijuana to uh experimenting with um psychedelic compounds uh which you know in the u.s it, i don't know how different it is from ireland but even going back then with a little bit of research online there was actually three or four different natural sources of uh, substances that were by federal law actually technically legal all right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, I would experiment with those, and you know, marijuana is sort of like training wheels for a full-blown psychedelic experience. Um, it prepares you for that to an extent, but I mean, for me personally, nothing could have prepared me for some of the experiences I had. And in the context of those experiences, I came across things that I, I guess, I would define as uh, spirits. Um, for lack of a better term, and uh, I would see and experience things, you know, with my eyes open or my eyes closed in particular, like full-blown, you know, 3D geometric shapes and sometimes, you know, entire landscapes, uh, buildings, um, you know, places that look like foreign worlds, you know, extremely clear, uh, crystal, crystal clear colors, uh, really intense architecture if there was buildings in a landscape or whatever, so... That was like, okay, so what's going on here? Is this just is this just my imagination going nuts? Am I seeing something that maybe is actually a, a non-physical place that um, does exist somewhere else? Uh, and I still don't necessarily have uh, many concrete answers to those questions up to this point in time. But yeah. uh, it was those experiences coupled with uh, moving out of Christianity and taking a look at some of the other religious and spiritual traditions around the world and then coming across hermeticism and that leading to other uh, occult topics and magical systems and the idea that you can interact with non-physical entities who uh, may very well be 
completely separate from you and, you know, have their own personality, have their ability to think and also affect you if they choose to do so or if you uh, enter into a relationship with uh, those spirits. So what was your first, um, I suppose, actual deliberate magical act that you said, right, I'm, I'm going to take what I've learned from the Internet. I'm going to apply it here outside of, say, the psychedelic experience or, or included if you want. But I mean, like, like when was the first sigil or whatever was the, the first definitive mm -hmm. I'm going to yep. call up Satan here and have a chat with him. Moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, it wasn't anything uh, fantastic. I uh, I think it was around the age of 20 or 21. And um, I had been reading just basic descriptions in the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram. Uh, I, I, I had been reading uh, some of Taylor Elwood's works, which is an author who I, I still read a lot today. Um, and I mean, that's the pop magic you know, or the pop uh, culture type magic. Taylor. I mean, that's what he's yeah. really well known for. Yeah. Uh, Taylor's been practicing for a very long time. And I mean, he has a traditional background in trading uh, and he's written quite a few books that aren't mm. mutually exclusive to that topic. But yeah, yeah. that's sort of uh, what he's known for. Um, and somewhere in the context of those experiences, I decided I'm going to try to do the LBRP. And at that time, starting from square one, it seemed complicated to me, and I'm sure that what I did was a complete bastardization of the process. Uh, it probably didn't work from a traditional standpoint, but what it did do is, one, it proved to me that all hell wasn't going to break loose if I'm going to enter into a ritual practice, and three, it provided a sense of liberty um, that, you know, was probably a big uh, major step towards eventually leaving uh, Christianity and having um, the initial steps that would provide the context for knowing there's more to life than what I've been told, and this is a doorway that I can walk through to have a new experience and to expand in various different ways. Yeah, it's, it seems to be one of those uh, things that you find kind of a niche initial ritual, whether you do it right or not, whatever, you know, even if it's something as a, I suppose, right. as a stereotypical horror movie thing of like saying to our father backwards or something like that you know that kind of it, it, it seems yeah. to loosen the change in, in what you said in that you realise well you know it, it didn't the world in the end you know there, there wasn't demons coming for me there wasn't you know and it seems to have some sort of positive effect um, yep. so at what point then did it go from just being I suppose a way of releasing the past kind of hold over mm -hmm. you know, that Christianity had and then yeah. did, it, did you start going oh hold on this actually works this could get me to more of what I actually want you know more knowledge more things whatever it is yeah um, I'm gonna say if I remember correctly it started with um, some you know small experiments with Gordon White's shoaling uh, mm. technique um, and I didn't, I wasn't trying to achieve anything crazy. I wasn't trying to get a yacht. I wasn't even trying to, you know, attract a job. I think I did very mundane things like, uh, oh, I found a, you know, a, a green tennis ball uh, in a, at a basketball court, you know, kind of ridiculously trivial things like that. But, uh, but specific enough that you, you knew when it happened that that's what it was, you know, that was the magic fulfilling. Cor yeah. Correct. So, you know, I, I had a few successes with that. And I said, okay, we'll take this a step further. Now around that time I had been reading a lot of Jason Miller's blog and, um, I'd say over the course of the next year, this is probably 2010 or 2011, if I want to guess, give or take a year. Um, over the course of that year, I started using, uh, sigils and shoaling a lot more and I started using it, uh, for more practical things and to attract things into my life that, uh, you know, would help me to move up in my job, uh, you know, get a little extra money if necessary, um, you know, maybe find a book that I needed that I that I was having issues, things like that. Mm. Um, and at some point or another during that year, um, you know, I had been reading about the strategic sorcery course and I decided I wanted to take it. Now, at the time I was at a um, at the same company, uh, but I had just taken over the social media department. I became interim social media manager, but you know, that's a nice uh, role than the name of it, but I wasn't, you know, making money hand over fist. Yeah. So at the time I was like, you know, 150 bucks, you know, do I really want to spend this? I think this is legit, but I'm not sure. So what I did is I did a sigil show to influence my boss to see if I could get him to pay for it. Um, now my boss was, and is an open, my former boss was an open-minded guy, uh, not a practitioner by any means, but he seemed to have a more than um, 
quaint relationship or interest in Buddhism. So I knew he was open-minded. So I really rolled the dice on this. I put together a sigil shoal with the intent to get my company to pay for the course. Um, And I asked for 15 minutes of his time uh, to explain an idea that I had about incorporating what I said I think was psychology or metaphysics into the sales and marketing process. So we went into the boardroom and I laid out the basic, um, you know, a quick history lesson in chaos magic and then basically just taught him verbatim uh, how sigils work from the uh, context of Gordon's techniques. And he actually really took to it. Um, right, because that, that could have went very weird. Yeah, <laughs> very quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, magic involves risks. You know, you do sure. have to take the possibility of burning your fingers, as Jake Stratton Kent would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, he, he took very well to it. And I said, you know, I personally believe that the use of sigils and some other magical technologies could be useful in the context of marketing and sales. Uh, marketing is a very, um, for lack of a better term, manipulative practice. I mean, I'm still working in marketing today and I try to be transparent with um, my customers and clients and use it as a source for good. But uh, marketing has a history of questionable um, manipulation of the mind. So there's sort of a crossover. It's literally what it is. Like it is trying to change people's minds and put a glamour over them. Like, you know, it's like magic 101, essentially, really. Yeah. So I was able to kind of draw parallels between, uh, you know, sigil magic and some very entry level stuff to, you know, uh, corporate marketing and sales, and my boss bit on it. I told him about Jason's course, and I said, you know, if you see value in sigilization, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff in this course that could potentially be useful that could be applied to my profession here as a marketing and sales professional. Because I, around that same time, I took um, a full-time sales position. I was still the social media manager, but on top of that, I got into sales because I wanted to make more money. And, uh, you know, long story short, he got a kick out of the presentation. He saw the value in the course and uh, he had the CFO cut me a check and I entered the strategic sorcery course that day. Right. Cool. And how then um, did you start applying the course uh, to, to the job or was it more <laughs> now that I have now that I have the money, I'm just yeah. going to do my own thing? Um, well, you know, as that was the beginning of... Uh, understanding strategic sorcery. I bought a few of Jason's books, um, Sorcerer's Secrets, Financial Sorcery, uh, and I've bought a few more since then. But at the time, it was those two. And I went through the whole course. I did everything verbatim by the book. I did the homework assignments up until maybe the third one. But um, I, like by the third one, I don't think I received uh, a grade or anything back from yeah, Jason. I didn't, and it, I didn't even receive uh, f- uh, anything from the first one. So I give up then. <laughs> right <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it was like, you know, I mean, whatever, he's just going to tell me whether he, he thinks I'm doing right or not. And I'm doing this because I want to prove to myself that it, yeah, it is yeah, actually yeah. going to work. So, you know, I, I, I worked through the whole course over the course of that year. And I would say maybe around the six month mark, I started to try applying, um, more things from it, whether it was, uh, uh, candle magic or mojo bags, um, working with some of the spirits he had listed, um, uh, St. Hamabanus, uh, he mentioned, I think it was either, I think it was in the course or it might've even been, I'm dating myself here, the strategic sorcery forum, uh, right, 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 right. Yeah. you know, um, but so St. Hamabanus was, uh, this guy who I guess he, 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 he was vague. He, he's not a well-known saint, but I guess, um, he had been wealthy prior to becoming a saint and he was the patron of uh, charity towards, uh, you know, everyday people or workers who are struggling to sustain their business. And there's something to the effect of carrying around a picture of him in your wallet uh, to, I think it was supposed to be a financial thing, but what it actually ended up doing is um, it made me hyper-focused on giving and charity and helping people in need. Okay, okay. And so you uh, got I that think... straight out of your wallet. I love none of that. <laughs> Give me the money, please. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because um, there's, I, I feel like charity in and of itself, if it's done in the right context, uh, you know, not to be like patting yourself on the back. There's, mm-hmm. there is a line from the Bible that I would actually use. It's like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And if sure. I interpreted that correctly, it's like, you know, yeah, sure. Give and help, but don't, you know, make it a public thing. Um, and I did, I, I would say that I found from that moment to this point in time, um, I've, I've made it a point to donate as much as possible, but that might just be a dollar yeah. to like an ALS organization or 
even 50 cents. But whenever I'm out in public and there's an opportunity to do that, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give a dollar or a change or whatever. And as time has gone on, I've uh, tried to be more progressive in my charity donations to, uh, you know, people who are in need. And without going into details about that, I, I did notice that as that arc went up, um, it seemed as if my own income increased as well. Now, that may not be a direct byproduct of charitable giving, but I would say that, you know, that little experiment with St. Hamabanus sort of instigated that. And it's been a big part of, um, I don't know if you would say the magical practice, but is giving to charity magic? Um, well, I mean, you maybe. have the whole like, thing of um, tithing, I suppose, it has a long history in, um, yeah, you know, religious that, thought. And so many people do mention, and I I'd even myself would agree with that, that kind of sentiment, that there seems to be something, even going back to um, Crowley's idea of um, having a small celebration, you know, if you've no money, you know, and doing something that you would only do if you had no money, because it kind of seems to... Um, with money or with things can sometimes be a block somewhere. So, and do it, you know, if you're starting to grasp all the stuff, no, my money, my money, I need more money. Right. Then it kind of stuff. So if you give stuff away, there seems to be some sort of element where it seems to unblock this thing. Yeah. As, you know, obviously to charity is a, is a good one. Tiding, all of that kind yeah. of stuff. There seems to be some correlation. Also, it makes you feel good. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, why not? Like, Yeah. So was um, your boss checking in at you, uh, looking for your weekly magic report or anything else? <laughs> you just kind of uh, looking to see if uh, just letting you do your thing or? Well, you know, I was pretty passionate about it. So I would just tell him, you know, what I was doing anyway. I mean, that. So what does that exactly look like? I mean, <clears throat> one of the things I was doing was uh, embedding invisible sigils into emails uh, and tracking the success rates between an email stream that was just mundane versus one that had uh, a hidden sigil in it that was designed to close a sale. And um, I actually had a spreadsheet, but I haven't been in that company for two years, so I don't have it anymore. But I did notice there was an uptick in um, magically enhanced emails and other digital experiments like that versus just purely mundane actions. So that was further proof that it was effective. Um, eventually, I got a cubicle at my work, and uh, I, I had a lot of, you know, I had the Kabbalistic tree of life. I had a lot of uh, sacred geometry posters, and um, uh, I actually had a uh, small altar on my desk dedicated to Papa Legba, which I'll augment by saying that I never intended to develop a relationship with Papa Legba as, you know, a white American. Uh, I, I, I tread carefully on just trying to play with other cultures, um, you know, spirits and deities, particularly if they're part of, you know, a religion like one of the African traditional religions. And um, the reason that I, you know, decided, okay, I will uh, initiate an experience with this is because I was actually working with um, Bob Legba, the amalgamation of yeah. uh, Bob from, from the Church from of the Epoch. Subgenius. Mm -hmm. Yep. And within that same time period, I actually was also working with uh, the gatekeeper from the 40 Servants. So it was my intention that, you know, here's a way that maybe I can get in connection with a similar energy to what the spirit represents without, you know, culturally appropriating sure. the yeah, spirit. Yeah. The flip side of that, what was interesting, is that I started having dreams. I've had, I'd say in the past 10 years, uh, five dreams um, where Papa Legba or an entity claiming to be him, <laughs> has showed up on multiple occasions. Um, there was one in particular, I was in a Catholic church playing a piano, and uh, there was an uproar, like, there, I don't know, this like Pope-like figure. Like, was it like, a, who let the Protestant in? <laughs> let the Protestant <laughs> Maybe. In? <laughs> it's weird, I was like in this, in this tower playing this piano, and it, I don't know if you've ever tried to play a piano in a dream, but it, like the keys start growing or falling apart, and I'm like, ah, this is awful. <laughs> And there was all these people who ran into the room like, oh, we have to evacuate. And it's like, OK, so running down like the spiral staircase. And at one point I became lucid and I kind of just drifted out of a window. And the church was in this like barren wasteland. Uh, it was like all red, blackish red dirt. But there was a symbol across uh, a large like mound. And I kind of floated up above this scene. And it was strikingly similar to Papa Legba's Veve. Okay, so I was like, okay, yeah. and I had a few. I had a, I had a few other experiences where um, he popped up or a character popped up claiming to be him, and I said, all right, 
let, let's let's give it a shot. So without you know treading the line of cultural appropriation, I took a look in um, some of Jason's work. He's mentioned Papa Legba as a spirit uh, to work mm-hmm. with in a couple places, and I just went very easy with it. You know, I did a lot of research about who he is, what he is, what he means in his in the context of the tradition, what people in you know america uh, who work with him are doing you know what his relation is to not just the atrs but hoodoo and uh, and i also re- researched you know some people you know everybody well occultists seem to like to talk online so there's a lot of people who had no old bars about you know yeah sure no, i'll work with anybody and you know yeah, this yeah. is this amazing experience i had so i read a lot of different information and i made a uh, regular um offerings of coffee rum tobacco uh, and you know, like I said, I literally had a little altar on my desk, which most people didn't notice it. It was, it was a, a mojo bag. Uh, I, I had a cup of coffee, which I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. corporate America. Of course <laughs> there's going to be coffee on my desk and a picture of his Veve. Nobody ever paid any attention to it. Um, and while, you know, I can't say that I've had any overtly profound experiences other than the dreams, which in and of themselves were profound to me personally. Yeah. Uh, one of the functions of Papa Legba for those who work with him is to find lost things. And there were several occasions where I lost my wallet or keys or something incredibly important. Right. And, uh, you know, I petitioned him and Got it, it happened. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but, you know, I want to I want to augment all of that by saying, you know, I, I'm not an initiate. I don't claim to know anything outside of the box. It's just, you know, this is part of what magic is about, experimenting, developing relationships with spirits and really, you know, just trying to answer questions for yourself, you know which model is correct is is this all psychology is it energetic is it spiritual is it information or is it a meta model and i try to remain blissfully agnostic to this um one of the biggest uh, tips i ever got from another practicing magician was from cat vincent um because i i had had an experience where things got a little too heavy and uh he i was talking to him on online or on the phone this was probably three or four years ago and he said, well, the way I approach all this stuff is don't believe that any of it is real. Believe that all of it could possibly be real. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting uh, perspective to come to, because if you do find yourself in a heavy experience, if you can default yourself to that perspective or paradigm shift for, you know, a term that I think makes more context of chaos magic, yeah. you can uh, navigate difficult experiences in a way that perhaps you couldn't if you were 100% sure that the spirit realm is real, this is happening, and you know, this entity is going to eat me. Yeah, sure. And and the other way too, if you're having trouble not getting any kind of response, the, the whole acting as if it's real, you know, like if you, as if the demon or the spirit, whatever is in the room with you, can have the, you know, the same kind of um, boostering effect uh, as it can have a negating effect, you know, when things are getting a bit too heavy. You know, right. Whole, that's, that's right. So is magic real? Who knows? Acting as if it real seems to um, cause things to, to, to go a bit strange or a bit, a bit weird. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, the reason I do magic is, um, I guess I would say currently and for pretty much all the time I've been doing it is I'm into quote unquote low magic as it's presented in uh, Lon Milo Duquette's book of the same name. Mm. Uh, for anyone who hasn't read that, it's one of my favorite books because it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, like he, he pulls a lot of humor into his work. And like he was talking about in the beginning of that book, working a, a dead end job, he was trying to become a professional musician and he was struggling with that. And, you know, he was trying to balance, you know, a, a nine to five, which I could relate to that because I lived that life for about 15 years. And he talked about, you know, one day I decided to, you know, craft a, the second pentacle of Jupiter or whatever it was. And he talks he talks through, you know, starting having no idea what the hell he's doing. And, you know, openly talks about his experiments and, you know, the, the, the wins and the fails. And he ties it all together with humor. It's an excellent book. And, you know, I uh, most of his books. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he, he's a great guy. Um, I had the good fortune to interview him. He was uh, oh, cool. one of one of several. Pe- well, just like you and uh, Lon, Jake, Rufus Opus, Jason, a lot of other people that I got to interview for interview with the Magus, which was the book that. I inadvertently created, uh, I don't want to divert too far, but um, that book was a collection of the articles that I had done for Disinfo for the two years it existed before it was removed from the internet. Um, And I was fortunate enough to connect with Lon, and he was one of my favorite interviews. He was, uh, you know, a guy who got really into the process and was like, you know, thank you, I I appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, But Low Magic, as far as 
it is presented in that book. It's about getting shit done, you know? Like, I'm not here to delve really deeply into thaumaturgy or theurgy, and uh, while those things obviously have their point, I'm very practical, you know? I want to I wanna make money. I want to uh, attract things that I want in my life, experiences that I want, and I don't make any bones about, like, that being my main focus. I think, yeah, the, the whole low magic, high magic divide is, well... One, you know, labels so bullshit, but uh, the it's kind of there is a, a thing in certain aspects of uh, magical thought that kind of looks down on the whole low magic thing because it's it's kind of sometimes bracketed in with like kind of new age, uh, mm-hmm. you know, new thought or you know a bit kind of fluffy or it's put in with like the um, you know selfish or you know you you shouldn't be you know you should be doing something greater for you know for the world you know and that your magic practice should be you know, all aimed on an awakening or enlightenment or the high magic aspects, whatever yeah. way you want to go with that, that kind of thing. But like holy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, and it's like, while we live in a world, we live in the earth element, we have to have shelter, we have to have food, we have to have all these other things. And to kind of uh, negate or to say that that's wrong to pursue these basic goals or you know, after you have your basic needs met to pursue, you know, more ambitious goals, um, seems that it's it's missing half of the balance or something like that. It's it goes back to that kind of Eastern thought that we we in the West kind of have a bit wrong of Maya as illusion, like that. All of this is illusion, so it doesn't matter. The that yeah. starving person over there, it doesn't matter. You know, so we don't have to do anything about that because it's not real. It's probably a non-player character anyway, or or whatever it is. And we have that kind of feeling, I think, towards um. Low magic. Some, it's, it's not so much in chaos magic because an awful lot of chaos magic is about getting shit done in general. That's yeah. you know what, and it's kind of missing the polarity of the high magic element to it, which is you know would be a more complete system. But uh, yeah, and I think most people come to magic initially because uh, they need something. You know, they need more <laughs> right. money. They need their, their ex boyfriend back. They need you know a new car, yeah. whatever it is. No one comes. You goes. You know. My life is great. I think I'll get into magic. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to be the high priestess of a mystery cult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just, just for a laugh. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I mean, um, I, I suppose, you know, when you when you stumble across topics like the great work, I mean, something like that can start uh, with low magic. And maybe once you get on that path, perhaps it could lead to you know, spiritual, uh, uh, in-depth spiritual seeking, you know, for me, it's not uh, a main focus. I, you know, there's obviously plenty of stories out there about people who, you know, either completely ignored that altogether. They just stuck with, you know, what Aiden Watcher would call as dirt sorcery or what I would think of as a punk rock approach to doing magic. And then you have the progressive uh, rock version of magic, which is, you know, ceremonial magic or, mm-hmm. you know, the really in-depth uh, ritual magic, which, you know, serves serves its purpose. It has its place. And for people who are into it, you know, more power to you. But um, I've never been personally, uh, you know, into the whole idea that, you know, that's a no-no. Like, this is, this is important, serious stuff. You got to get down to business. Like, um, I want to have fun. And yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like like magic is very similar to music for me. Um, I've spent my whole life uh, involved with it to some extent or another. I think it was the Grateful Dead who said, uh, "Music, uh, no, magic is what we do, and music is how we do it." Right. And I've seen a lot of parallels between the joy uh, that comes from you know making any sort of art, but for me, music in particular, and magic, which you know clearly magic is an art. Most likely it's a science, but uh, I tend to focus more on the artistic side and I experiment hev- heavily. And I've, I've been successful up to this point with the things I've tried to achieve. So um, all in all, it's a good time and it's, a, it's an interesting thing to be part of. Yeah, I think the whole, um, I'm definitely with Alan Moore on that art equals magic equals art. It's the same thing, just the canvas is slightly different. Um, and I don't really see, well, I mean, I do, of course, I could, you know, I could, I could bullet point it out if I really want to, but I don't really see any difference between creativity and magic. It seems to have the same source. Whatever is the agency for magic is also the agency for creativity. Or whatever the place where insights and awakenings come from is the same place that, uh, you know, that new song comes from, or that, you know, that, that painting comes from, or the inspiration. Yeah. Well, literally, inspiration, you know, bringing in the spirit, that kind of thing. 
Yeah. I think another important part of the low magic thing is that it's all well and good to be trying to involve yourself in, you know, the higher end of things, whatever. But if your life is a mess, you know, I mean, it, 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 you should start there, you know, start where you are. I love that expression. And uh, I think it's Randas, but uh, I heard it from Duncan Trussell talking to uh, Joe Rogan. So that's where, I came, where he says, tend to the part of the garden that you can reach. You know, yeah. do the thing that's in front of you, you know, and if that happens to be I need to do magic, you know, to sort out my my rent payment, then that's what it should be rather than, you know, worrying about, I don't know, awakening or something like that. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever Having a really in-depth conversation with an archangel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, you know, like, like you, what do you, you call up Raphael and go, hello, yeah, can you, can you pay my rent for me, please? It's, you know, like, hmm, probably not the most appropriate uh, use, of, uh, use of his time. Yeah. Um, so was it over the no, so the trajectory was that you're getting very much into actual practical magic and doing all this thing. Was there still that element of um, the drug use at that point, or has you got older? Did that wane, or did it change, or what was the what was going on there? Yeah, I would say by 25 it had uh, waned largely. Um, by 27, pretty much the only thing I was doing was uh, drinking, and I was still I, I still smoke marijuana, and uh, at that time, and I still do now. But uh, I actually prefer low THC, high CBD strains. They're they're not terribly psychedelic, and uh, in America now, because of the uh, 2018 Farm Bill, you can get uh, hemp flower. It's essentially cannabis. It's it's marijuana, but because it's below one percent THC, you can buy it online. You can have it shipped to your house. You don't have to go to a dispensary. Um, so I tend to get lower THC strains, and I can still get a psychoactive high from it, but I'm not really looking to get blasted uh, like sure. when yeah. I was uh, 15. Because um, honestly, uh, depending upon the strain, particularly sativas, they make me paranoid and uh, they give me anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, so the low THC—that's my, my experience of the video. So. Yeah. So yeah. the low THC, high CBD strains—you um, get a subtle psychedelic effect, for lack of a better term, but the CBD really mellows it out. And, uh, like I'll take CBD extracts, uh, when I do get anxiety attacks and, um, you know, like three or 400 milligrams of CBD, if I'm, if I'm having like a moderate anxiety attack, it's over within like 20 minutes cool. uh, as an aside. But, um, yeah. yeah, so I don't, uh, I do experiment and I, and I am still involved with that to an extent, but, um, like the major experiments that I've done with the more, let's call them, uh, intense alkaloids, I went 10 years without touching anything like that, um, and then have done some experiments, particularly with um, uh, substances that are mind-altering, but in the context of American law are legal. There's various uh, substances where I live. For example, salvia divinorum is completely legal. Uh, morning glory seeds um, are legal to possess. Right, um, okay, yeah. You know, so, and there's a few other obscure substances of that. So, you know, uh, at this stage in the game, I make it a very big point to, uh, when I am engaging in experiments like that, to stick with things that are legal. Yeah, um, yeah. Any plans yeah. on that when the lockdown finishes to head to South America and do some ayahuasca or anything like that? <laughs> or is that on the, the mission list? Yeah, you know, um, uh, DMT and ahuasca and uh, like the wild toad venom, which is 5-MeO-DMT, those are all yeah. very interesting alkaloids. But some of the experiences I've had on other psychedelics, which um, are considered training wheels for that type of experience, well, some of the training wheels experience that I've had were uh, terrifying. And, um, you know, if that's like, you know, just an entry level to what that experience is going to be while it's very intriguing i'm not entirely sure yeah. that i want to do it you know some days i'll wake up you know if i'm on vacation in the summer like oh yeah i'd, I'd, I'd go down to you know uh, chili or whatever like yeah that'd be great but then you know uh, I re i'll regress back to some of my own experiences and think about being at the peak of that and being like yeah maybe not <laughs> yeah maybe not yeah like i don't know i think uh the, the used to be the old uh, idea was that you didn't take the ayahuasca. It was that uh, you know the shaman did, and he you asked him the questions. But uh, yep. uh, or you hear those stories about people on salvia who's you know that they became like a a, a pillow for like three weeks, so that that they could totally felt it, or that they like they go into these mad places. But it's like feels like a lifetime. Go, oh thanks, no, don't want that. Not not interested in <coughs> being a pillow for three weeks. Thanks. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've heard those those stories. Or one guy who supposedly, you know, turned into a glass of orange juice and he tipped over, and you know that a lot of that seems like hype. And I'm sure there are some experiences that are maybe relevant. Like in my own experience with it, um, I mean, the first time I indulged, uh, you know, Salvia divinorum, it was in my friend's house in his attic, and it was a unique room because the the attic was oct an octagonal shape, like it was a long hallway. And it was an octagon. Um, I don't know why it was built like that. It was an old house from, it was probably about 100 years old. It was on the main street in the town that I grew up. So, you know, I took a couple rips. And uh, the octagonal room started rotating. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and it started, like, quicker and quicker and quicker. And, like, it, the body high from that is uh, borderline comatosis. Like, any time I've done it, I've had to, you know, sit or lay down because I generally can't move otherwise. And I closed my eyes, and that I was still in the octagonal room, and it was spinning faster and faster and faster. And all of a sudden, I was thrown out of the octagon, and I saw a giant beehive. Uh, you know, if you've seen a beehive up close, they're like little uh, octagon or hexagons. And so it was this huge beehive with all of these spinning octagons. So I, I flew out of the room, I saw this, I got sucked back into my octagon, and I opened my eyes, and the room was still spinning, but it, it started slowing down slower and slower and as soon as the experience stopped it like clicked back to reality um and those are interesting experiences you know yeah. and I've, I've got i've got stories for days of that you know it's but all of that stuff primarily i mean the only way to really translate that as useful information into the world is through art you know so i tried yeah, to yeah. i try to take that and you know translate those experiences to melodies on a guitar or sound effects or you know there was a period of time where i was really into drawing and uh I guess that's that's the most important thing about those substances. Like, <clears throat> it, it, psychedelics uh, are an initiatory experience, and if I find that some of them are less forgiving than others, like if you knock on that door and you're just there to party, mm. you will get your ass handed to you. If you show up with uh, respect and the intention of a spiritual event, you might still get your ass handed to you, but it'll play a little bit nicer with you for you know taking the time to make sure you're there for the right purposes. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, you hit the whole set and setting of these things are like the most important part of it. Yep. So, um, what does your magic look like these days? What, what, where are you at the minute? Where, what's going on? What are you reading? What's your approach? All of that. I'm reading quite a bit of stuff. I'm currently reading the uh, Magical Knowledge series by Josephine McCarthy. Um, she's a self-identified magical adept, and I, based on just reading her work, I'm going to have to assume she she definitely is she she yeah. talks with a lot of confidence she's intense uh she has this very interesting approach to uh ritual working with inner contacts um uh, protection magic and uh, it's it's quite different from uh a lot of other authors that i've read but i i find it to be very interesting and i i just started her Quaria course recently i'm on the tarot module because i'm simultaneously doing the uh rune soup tarot course um I'm reading uh, Taylor Elwood currently, Walking with Spirits. Uh, I, I enjoy all of his books. Um, I think he's a vastly underrated occultist, especially considering his time in the subculture and the, you know, the amount of stuff he's published. Yeah. But I guess he recently shifted over to doing that full-time, so good for him. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I just bought my first copy of the Collected Solomonic Text, so The Lesser Key, The Greater Key, uh, The Testament of Solomon. Uh, I read... What was the most recent? Uh, Black Abbot, White Magic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that book because I'm doing, uh, to better answer your question, um, my main focus for the past six months has been working with uh, Johan Tritamius is The Art of Drawing Spirits into Crystals. Okay, uh, very interesting. And, yeah. and I'm working through that with both Rufus Opus's Seven Spheres and then also Freder Ashen Chassan's uh, Pathways Through Stone and Circle. Okay. Um, so a bit, yeah. you're getting a bit more into the high magic then, obviously, the, than, than just the, you know, yeah, I mean, secret sigils in an email. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I do a lot of uh, candle magic. Um, I like to use Judica Isles' uh, Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells as yeah, like yeah. a it, as like a, a yeah and i like to use it as a recipe book like i'll i'll have an idea about something i need to accomplish so i'll go to that section i'll read you know maybe 20 or 30 spells and then i'll cherry pick elements from each of them and build a spell with those elements and it yeah. it's it seems to have uh, been quite effective i've been able to achieve certain things um 
from from doing that on a fairly regular basis. But as far as the quote unquote high magic, yeah, I would I would say that you know the art of drawing spirits into crystals is a bit more in line with that. Uh, it's certainly you know uh, would be considered part of the Grinoir tradition. I don't. I hopefully I don't get chewed out for that on, <laughs> online by some of the Uber magasses. But uh, just ignore like I I, I rec- like. I recently uh, had asked Rufus Opus because he's been doing these uh, daily live hermetic videos where he just talks about a certain topic and he was talking about Tritomius and I said what's the difference in your opinion between like you know art of drawing spirits into crystals versus the Solomonic approach and uh, to paraphrase him he ultimately said well you know it, it really is part and parcel like the well the the table of working and the tools involved for uh, the art of drawing spirits into crystals is uh, considerably more simplified than, say, um, the, uh, the, uh, the circle and the triangle of art and the yeah. lion skin belt and the golden ring and all of the bells and whistles that are uh, used yeah. uh, for, say, the lesser key. Uh, Tritomius is still in that tradition, which uh, I find very interesting because, um, you know, when I was younger... I had wanted to get more involved in conjuring, but you know the tool sets and the time restraints and the the fasting and everything that goes into that. Like for someone such as myself, who's you know working in corporate America, sure, yeah, yeah, I, it's not a process that I really thought I could ever bring to the you table. Mean, you mean you didn't have uh, enough time to skin a goat and make your own phallum? No, that, like it, that just wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's 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 plenty of goats around here. It's the lions, you know, the the African lions. Yeah, you know, like I, you know, you show up at the zoo with a uh, a black hilted blade, and they kind of look at you funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't get in. You don't get in. Yeah, they don't let you enter the zoo. But uh, what's interesting is, you know, uh, the art of drawing spirits into crystals, it, 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 you know, it has a very similar aesthetic to, say, the Solomonic approach. And I assume some of the other grimoires. I mean, I've read several of them. Uh, I've read all of Jake Stratton Kent's writings, uh, the True Grimoire, the Geosophias, um, the Encyclopedia Goetica. And, you know, that stuff fascinates me. And um, the True Grimoire is actually uh, more simple than, say, the Lesser Key and the Solomonic text. But... Tritomius one, you're dealing with angels, which, you know, it could just be a byproduct of my Christian upbringing, but um, I do feel a general more sense of safety working with them, even though angels can be particularly dangerous if you yeah, approach them in the wrong and, way. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, the first and thing I, to ever it, say to a human is, you know, calm down, stop being scared. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I mean, I, I had done the, uh, well... It's it you know and I think it's Sorcerer's Secrets it's the evocation of Bune but really what that is um, it, it was Jason Miller's approach to a petition of that spirit mm-hmm. um, I had done that on several occasions asking for big payoffs for some major sales gigs and I got them all three times I asked for them uh, so you were you know, saying at that previous to me and um, you, when you're talking about uh, Boone or Bune or whatever with that it wasn't until you yeah till you changed the pronunciation of the name that it really clicked for you. Like most people call it Boone. That's just, you know, like, because that's yeah. what it looks like. And, and who uh, knows? You know, maybe yeah, yeah. I'm wrong, but I found a, a, a well-written article at that time mm. uh, that talked about um, the names of the spirits, the pronunciations, and then also the N's. I had never heard of an N before, E-N-N. It's a, right. it's a chant that is used to um, okay. in, enhance the evocation of the spirit, I guess. But So I've never done a full-blown Solomonic uh, working. But, you know, that petition that Jason has in his book, I have found it to be uh, very useful. And, you know, doing that was scary at first because it's like, you know, what if the spirit really shows up? And I would say that it did, but I I feel like a lot of people when they get into magic and they're at that level where they're like, okay, I'm ready to try something a little bit bigger, but I'm terrified. That can either greatly enhance the experience or it can completely deflate it. And, you know, I kind of had to shift from, you know, expecting a full three-dimensional anthropomorphic manifestation of a spirit that looks semi-human and part animal or whatever. Um, I feel like people who are chasing that, you know, if they actually get it, would lose their shit. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, yeah. and you know, if it, 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 it's kind of missing the point, I think. Like, one of the things I've learned from uh, working uh, the art of drawing spirits into crystals over the past six months um, is that, you know, if you pay attention... Oftentimes nothing happens. At least for me, it doesn't during the evocation. Um, I haven't seen any three-dimensional manifestations of angels. What I have noticed is uh, on any of the days that I do it, I will get very strange synchronicities that are directly connected to um, the spirit or the sphere which it controls. Um, 
you know, or, or you know, if I ask for something, uh, I'll get um, a part of what I'm asking for, or I'm or, or or a pathway that is increasing the probability that will click into place. So one of the things, and this this is funny, this will probably piss off a lot of people because I'm talking about, uh, you know, ceremonial magic or, uh, you, you know, the grimoire tradition and blending it with pop culture magic, which, you know, a lot of people seem to hate. Yeah, uh, but a uh, real issue. <laughs> yeah. I, I, will, I will justify it in saying that the pop culture element of it was a synchronicity that um, spoke to the experience. So I did the, I believe it was a Wednesday, so it would have been Raphael. Uh, so the sphere of Mercury and I basically, you know, in the seven spheres, uh, RO will just say, you know, when you're first doing this, you want to get initiated to the spheres and ultimately you just go through the motions, you conjure the spirit, uh, it's supposed to be present and you ask to be initiated into the, um, secrets of that sphere. Um, so I did that a few times and I think it was the third time I had done it, it was essentially repeating the same things that I had done prior. Uh, asking to be initiated deeper into the sphere of Mercury. Now, <clears throat> later on in that day, I had opened up my computer and um, I was going to watch uh, a TV show or whatever. It was Netflix. Now, uh, I'm a big comics fan. I love the Marvel Universe. I don't know anything about DC and I'm completely disconnected from that universe. And there was a, a banner for The Flash and... I've had no interest in that whatsoever. And I got a genuine, like, let's call it a, a spiritual ping. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. watch that. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, ah, it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I find a lot of the DC content to be overly cheesy, but like, okay. So I watched three episodes and I was like, am I just like, like is this in my head? Did I, was I really prompted to watch this? And at the end of the third episode, um, uh, the, uh, the villain just before he's killed off, uh, he said, I'm going to capture the Flash. Can you imagine it would be like harnessing the powers of the god Mercury? <laughs> and so, uh, okay, so I looked into it, and what I didn't know is that the Flash, ha uh, you know, his his um, fictional well, he, narrative is tied yeah. up with, you know, the actual mythology of Mercury. Yeah, so sure. I, and the original Flash looked exactly like Mercury. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, so yeah. I, I went and found the older artwork, and I noticed yeah. that as well. So, I mean, to me, I take that as evidence So when that you've seen that, you've seen the Flash, you didn't have any mercurial correspondence to the Flash at all. It was just a really... Correct. Uh, right, oh, very interesting, because I, I thought you would even... Like, well, sure if you don't know I, I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew nothing about the character. I've never been, you know, like I said, I was a Marvel kid. I big into Spider-Man and um, some of the other X-Men and stuff. But um, I was completely blind on uh, most of the DC universe and certainly didn't know anything about the background, about the Flash or how that might tie in. Mm -hmm. So I took that and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm nuts, whatever. Uh, I'll own it. Uh, but to have to have a genuine like something that felt external be like, you should watch this and then to, to to have those dots connect after the fact i mean to me uh was that a successful evocation i mean i didn't see any angels but i would say that it was a successful communication something happened and i was interacting well, I, I with something you've seen a representation of the spirit or the god you are you know in, in inter interacting with i i yeah, fair, yeah, fair that's, that's for, fair. for doing three episodes i probably would have done one and went what what what, what? yeah it's, <laughs> Look at it, this. It's, it's not a terribly good show to be honest <laughs> but i persisted and you know like when when the guy said that it was just before the end of the episode it was like oh shit it kind of gave me goosebumps and it was like okay i understand i i hear you loud and clear and you know I've had a few different experiences uh, when doing the evocations with the Art of Drawing Spirits into crystals that have produced similar synchronicities. So um, I'm continuing to do that work for no other reason that, you know, I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious about these synchronicities and I do see them as potential spirit communications. Um, and I've, you know, petitioned, uh, it's, let's see, Thursday, Satchiel. I think Satchiel is uh, the intelligence of the sphere of Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Um and I've, you know, been doing some work with trying to attract more wealth into my life. And uh, I can't say for sure if that is exclusively a byproduct of the evocations with um, Satchiel or if it's a cumulative effect with a lot of other wealth magic I've been doing. But uh, it's one or the other or both. And I can justify that by saying, uh, you know, last year, um, my wife and I, we decided we were going to move. I didn't want to move. Uh, but I'm glad we did. Um, 
And by the time we had gotten the whole process going, uh, COVID was in full effect. And I was terrified because it was like, you know, fuck, I think the housing market could collapse. Mm. Ironically, it was the complete opposite. The housing market in the United States boomed. It's 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 right. starting to settle down now. But I mean, uh, like last year, the way I see it, last year was sort of like a universe or spirits or whatever testing people. And I mean, I'm, I don't want to be insensitive to that because I know a lot of people had a really shitty year. I I could have, um, but I, I I kind of interpreted it as. Like, okay, it's time to shit or get off the pot. That's that's basically the theme of this year. So moving was a crazy thing to do, but I did it. Um, so, you know, I, I did a lot of magic over the course of that time. A lot of shoals, uh, a lot of candle magic, um, you know, some things which will remain anonymous. But uh, one of the things I did is uh, burying a statue of St. Joseph and reciting the appropriate prayer. You know, I had no... Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, you know, I did it. I edited the uh, the prayer a little bit, and I said, you know, look, if this pans out, I'll buy another statue of you, and I'll put you in a place of honor in my temple if I get a house that I can have uh, a sacred space. Well, the house was on the market for less than 48 hours. We had nine people lined up, but the first guy that less than 48 hours later said, I'll give you the asking price for your house. We sold it in less than 48 hours. So, wow. yeah, yeah. you know, is that a byproduct of that? I don't know, but I sure as fuck didn't expect it to go that quickly. Yeah. Um, but is that a, your marriage coming through? I don't know. But next time I'm selling the house, I'm definitely bearing <laughs> a statue. Of just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, you got to make good on your promise. So, you know. Uh, I, I, my wife and I were able to buy literally our dream house. It's this gorgeous lake house uh, on, on a lake in the town we live. Uh, it's got a finished basement, which my wife has always wanted. Our previous house was just a concrete basement where my band would practice, and she hated it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, and it's so weird. Like we we named the house the Shire. We even put a little sign on it. It's not a traditional Hobbit house, but the vibe is very much in line with that. And um, it's just, I mean, every from the architecture to like everything that we wanted, it, it was it was it was eerie because um, we went to see another house first, and my wife was like, "Yeah, I think I really want that." I was like, "Well, let's go see this one," and I showed her photos, and she didn't like the colors because the colors are very uh, like our living room is red, our uh, dining room has uh, yellow, and her room like the colors are very funky, but they work in context once you see it in person. But looking at right. them in photos, she was like, "No, I don't think so." I was like, let's just go take a look and we'll see. We pull in the driveway and the house was immaculate from the outside. And I was like, eh, you know, if it's this nice outside. And so we went in with our realtor and within five minutes, we were both like, holy shit, this house was built for us. Um, you know, so that was the culmination of a lot of uh, different enchantments last year. And that started probably two years prior when I had lost my job. Um, I ended up taking a management position in the company that paid for my uh, strategic sorcery course. Okay. Eight months later, I lost my job with about half of the employees because they bought a competitor. And while they got a lot of market share, they lost a ton of money. One of the first things that a company does when that happens is get rid of the marketing department. But I was given a very nice severance package and a letter of recommendation from my president because he really didn't want to let me go, but he didn't really have a choice. So I was out of work for seven or eight months. It was awful. Like I thought it was going to be like a you know, uh, a vacation, but, uh, I was, you know, like not having that daily schedule to some extent was kind of a shock to the system. I mean, I did a lot of, you know, playing guitar. I went to the beach, I, I did artwork, but that, that feeling of uncertainty was, uh, very weird for me. And it ended up giving me like panic attacks on a fairly regular basis. Um, but about halfway through that experience, I got my shit together and I, I, I started enchanting to get a new job. At the very end of that, I ended up taking a job that I received. I got two offers, um, and I took the first one, but I really wanted the second one. Uh, I won't go into detail because it, it's pretty complicated, but I did a lot of enchantments around getting the second job. Uh, it was a complicated process. I had to do four separate interviews, um, that, like a couple of different phone calls. It was a very in-depth process, and I didn't even know if I really wanted it. I was just at the end of my rope. I was going to lose my unemployment, and so I took the job. Well, it turned out to be... The closest thing I've ever had to a dream job. Um, I work uh, for a company that sells packaging. It's not, uh, you know, the products aren't sexy by any means, but it's not so much the products that excite me. It's that uh, one, I get to work from home, which is worth its weight in gold. Uh, I get paid well and I get treated better than I've ever been treated by any company ever. It was, 
I was so taken aback by how happy everyone was in the company that I thought I might have joined a cult by accident. (laughs) (laughs) It was that, it was that good. And it's literally like the company is literally that great. And I get treated like absolute gold. I get to work from home. And while, you know, what I'm doing, the, the products I'm not super passionate about purely from what they are, but I'm super passionate about the process because every day I, you know, I write, I podcast, um, I do video production. I do voice acting for a cartoon series that we did. Uh, like I get to do a lot of creative stuff. And despite the fact that the products aren't something that, you know, I'm passionate about outside of my nine to five, I'm getting a lot of phenomenal tools. So I've got, I've got some great software that's helping me become a better writer, uh, free educational resources from uh, third party companies like paid content for, you know, podcasting, uh, video editing, so I'm getting paid to learn all of these skills while simultaneously, you know, um, doing all this stuff professionally. So while the, you know, the topics might not be something I would write about in my own time, I'm so happy with my quality of life from this uh, that it was, you know, like the, the past couple of years have been, to me, proof that magic does work. And it was a calibration that had to take, I don't know, it's probably been between six and ten years since I started uh, you know, I'd have to really look at it. But uh, from the time I lost my job straight through 2020, I was like, OK, no more fooling around, head down, face forward, just fucking enchant. So I did a lot of spells. I did a lot of uh, sigil shoals. I did various magical things and I was hyper focused on the manifestation of it. And then I was shocked when a lot of it started to pan out. I ended up with a brand new car. I got this dream house and I have this job that I'm absolutely head over heels in love with. And Um, you know, I still got a lot of coals in the fire and I can't really talk about them now because it's in the process of manifesting, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, it works and it's real. What does that actually mean? I don't know. Maybe it's psychology. (laughs) Maybe it's information. Maybe it's spirits. Maybe it's energy. Uh, Again, I'm agnostic and I'm coming at it from a meta model perspective. That's awesome. Um, magic has definitely been, uh, your magic journey has been one, uh, to this point, very successful for you and, uh, long may that last. And uh, may your future be even brighter and more magical than it uh, well, currently is. Likewise. And I, and I have to, uh, you know, forgetting towards the end of the show, I got to point out, Tommy, I mean, one of my magical goals for a while has been coming on this show. And I got to tell you, it is an absolute honor to be here. And I had a blast. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted that, uh, that you enjoyed it. I had, uh, as always, I enjoy talking to you anyways, but um, this was uh, particularly good getting to know you a bit more. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again at some point and uh, maybe pick a topic and, you know, just go off on it or something but uh yeah thank you very much and uh is there any is there websites anything you want to point people at or are you staying uh in the darkness of the internet for for the time being yeah i mean i do have a personal website but it's pretty much a digital portfolio for like corporate work so uh the only thing i would mention is uh you know you can if you're interested in learning more about uh my work and the success story that i just said about getting the car the job the house etc <clears throat> i wrote a new book recently called chaocentric marketing and the sorcery of sales Uh, it's a short book about combining chaos magic with modern sales and, uh, marketing techniques. And it it basically goes over the story about how I accomplish all this stuff, but it goes deeper into the actual spells, the actual, uh, gear work underneath the hood, so to speak. So if anyone's interested, it's chaos centric marketing and the sorcery of sales. Um, I'm also the author of interview with the Magus, uh, which you were featured in. And I have a third book called a labyrinth of dreams, which is a hyper sigil, uh, and part of a three-book fantasy trilogy series. Okay, and all these uh, will be in the show notes, all the links to all these different things, so if you want to check them out. So, thank you very much, and uh, talk to you again. All right, thank you, Tommy. Have a great day. Bye.